So go in your Bibles to Acts 20, and we're going to finish a series on I'm Reminding You. As we have talked about how we love reminders, we've studied the reminders of God throughout the Bible, some in the Old, some in the New Testament, and we're going to end here in Acts chapter 20 with Paul reminding the church. So this is an apostle reminding the church of Ephesus. It's probably not just one church there. It's probably a few churches who came out, all the ones he started, he traveled around, to, came out, to come out and see him at the shipyard. He's shipping off, and it's not a two-week on and a two-week off. He says, you're going to see my face no more. you got the leaders of the church, the lay people, people like this, like you guys who are all there, and Paul is going to give them words of encouragement, words of warning, words reminding words, including words straight from Christ himself. So we're right here in Acts 20. Let's start in verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember. Remember, he's sitting on a dock. He's sitting in a public place with all these people and these people from Ephesus around him. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, and then it's in red, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we'll definitely get back to that last verse. But let's learn some things from the Word of God here in verse 31. He says, Therefore watch and remember that I did not cease to warn you night and day, and not just any kind of warning. Remember, everything in the Bible is in there for a reason. There are no unnecessary details in the Bible. Every time we see a word or the way it's, it's configured, we need to say, okay, what is that? Why is that there right there? He said, I warned you how? With tears. I warned you with tears. There's a, so much in that first verse right there. He says, for three years, that's long-term care. He repastored them for three years. I did not cease. He was consistent. He was consistent in his communication, in his relationship. To warn, he was watchful in his care like a good shepherd watches over the sheep. He said, everyone, it was universal. This is a time of high racial divide, right? We even have that. You, you can talk about, look, he, there was times the apostles had to get on people for racism. He said, everyone, rich, poor, black, white, young, old, I warned everyone. I loved them all. Everyone with tears, a, a heartfelt, this is a heartfelt care. I tell you what he's reminding them. Number one on your notes. Remember, truth is received from a voice of compassion. Compassion. You want someone to receive some truth, you got to have compassion. 
in the end times, know, brothers, that the love of many will grow cold. So you want to be a city on a hill? You want to be a light to the world? Compassion. That's the way Paul did it. Was Paul successful? Was he influential? Look, everybody's out there to say, to, he, he's not saying goodbye by himself. In fact, when he finished this, they, they flung to him. They put their neck around. They hugged him. They cried. Oh, oh. He had influence. How did he get influence? He's reminding us that if we want people to receive truth in this world of, oh, relative truth, this is my truth, that is truth, but the true truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a voice of compassion. I was thinking about this, and I was like, who, who is such a great example in the Bible of this? And King David was one of the first that came to mind. I want to show you two quick stories from King David. First Samuel 24. This is how we can live successfully in this world. 1 Samuel 24, King David's on the run. He's hiding in a cave. Saul goes in. David cuts off a corner of his robe, even though the people with David said, this is your chance. In fact, they even invoked the God card. The Lord's delivered him into your hand. Take him out right now. The kingdom's yours. Nope. I don't exalt myself. The Lord does. I won't touch him. So then he he has a corner of his robe. He comes out of the cave and King Saul's there. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 24, 10. Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, you see, right? That's daddy-in-law, isn't it? Even though daddy-in-law tried to kill him. That's his father-in-law. Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Now I see that there is now and know and see, excuse me, that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I'm not doing this out of an impure heart. And I have not sinned against you. Yet you have you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. Now look at this next statement. He's going to say it twice in the Bible. Watch this. But my hand shall not be against you. Saul, I am not your enemy. I will not be your enemy. I will not speak to you with any voice except the voice of compassion, the voice of love, the voice of purity, but my hand, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care how you come at me. I will not be your enemy. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from wickedness. The reason why people become enemies is wickedness is in our heart, right? We got sin, we got anger, we got hurt, and therefore it comes out. Now he says it again, look. But my hand shall not be against you. He says it in verse 12 and verse 13. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Is he seeing himself in such a humble way? Therefore, let the Lord judge and let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this the voice of my son, David? Everyone's been telling me he's out for the throne. 
Everyone's been saying, you can't trust David. He's got wickedness in his heart. But my ears hear something else. My ear, Saul says, I hear this man's heart, his cry. This is not a, a man who's after something. This is a pure-hearted man. Oh, this is a man of deep compassion. Is this his voice? You know, he's looking back at all the generals like, you lied to me. And they're all got their face in the ground. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Verse 17. Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dwelt with well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand and did not kill me, for if a man finds his enemies, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Do you see the power of the voice of compassion? An angry Saul who had been lied to by demonic forces, who had been lied to by his own countrymen, who had heard all these different bad things about David. But when the voice of compassion steps up, oh, now we're getting close to Jesus now. The voice of, I'm not, I, my hand will not be against you. Though you slay me, nope, I'm not your enemy, Saul. Nothing you can do will make me hate you because I've got a love of the Father. I've got a love that comes from on high that he's given me, and I will not hate you, Saul. This kingdom that God has built called Israel will not be built on anger and, and prowess and, and, and man's might. No, it'll be built by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is a gentleman. Amen? Remember, truth is received from a voice of compassion. Well, I wish it would have worked all perfect for David, but it didn't stick the first time. It's like, I tried that, and they came back at me again. You're in good company. You're in David's company. He did that. Saul made this big. You're more righteous than my, me. I have sinned. Well, Saul had some character issues. If you turn just a couple, voices, a couple verses over, a couple chapters, excuse me, to 1 Samuel 26, he's listening to people again. You got to listen to the Lord. He's listening to people. David's out. He's out to get you. He's more talented. They love him. Remember, he killed Goliath. The ladies are singing songs about him. Oh, he's out to, he's going to take your throne. Your sons are not going to be number one. Nope. He's out to get you. So David sneaks into Saul's camp because Saul's pursuing him again. He sneaks in with a friend of his, and Saul has put his spear right next to his head where he's sleeping. If you're going to keep a gun on you, keep it on you. <laughs> I'll lay it next to you. And his friend, David's friend says, look, I can kill Saul. One strike, he'll never make a word. He'll never make a sound. There's, there's enemies. There's Saul's army sleeping all, all around, all over. He says, let me pick up that spear, and I'm going to end Saul right here. He goes, nope, don't touch him. They take Saul's spear. They head up. Morning arises. Here's David again standing on a cliff, standing above him. This is Psalm 26, 17.
Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does the Lord thus pursue his servant again? For what have I done, and what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant, because he's been listening to lies. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, you've been listening to lies again, and they hate me, and they want you to hate me. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go and serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. As when one hunts a partridge in the mountains, then Saul said, again, a voice of compassion, a voice of grace. Then Saul said, what does he say? I have sinned. You want to bring truth into someone who's angry and covered in lies, people at work, or someone who just seems like they're out to get you? You ever, you ever felt like there's just someone who's out to get you sometimes? You ever had a relationship like that? I hope not, but a lot of you guys are going, oh yeah. <laughs> at least they don't live in your own house. <laughs> then Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son David. What is the next thing he says? For I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the what? The fool and erred exceedingly. This is how you change people. You don't do it. You have a godly voice of compassion and the Holy Spirit can move then. Then the Holy Spirit, oh my, I have sinned. I'm not going to do this anymore. And in fact, he didn't pursue him anymore wasn't like that. That was a major change in Israel, in David's life. David had no peace for a time. He was broken. He was hurting. His, he was rejected by his own father-in-law. The leadership had come on him, but finally it had stopped because David would say, I won't be your enemy. I'm not going to talk bad about you. I'm not going to try to hurt you. I'm not going to try to get people on my side. I'm not going to play he said, she said. I'm just going to stop and let God be God. I'm going to humble myself. And Saul just, he couldn't handle it. The Lord was all over David. Saul said, I've sinned. I've been the foolish one. And I'm not going to do it anymore. That's a beautiful picture. And that sounds so much like Paul. Such a voice of compassion changes things. That's what I want. What if we had that in this church? Huh? Yes. And we do. A voice of compassion. All right. Let's go back to our main text in Acts. You know, you always think about how bad it was with Saul and David, and it was. But you know, the Lord even did a miracle in that mess. It wasn't perfect. It never got the way it was, but he did a miracle. They were never buddy buddies again, but Saul wasn't trying to kill him all his days. That's a miraculous miracle that God brought peace in that storm. Okay, Acts 20. Kids, you guys are doing great. Verse Acts 20, 32. So now, brethren, there's about to be a big change. 
I've been here with you three years. I've established these churches. My words have very much been the words of the Lord. I've been uh, I've written one third of the books of the New Testament. They're not fully written right now at this time. But this is the apostle of God. This is Paul. His words are authoritative because they're the Lord's words, not because they're his. So now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. That word, I commend or commit, is like bringing someone a big plate of food and setting it before them. I'm going to give this to you. It's yours. You can do with it however you want. It's like, this is yours now. I don't own it anymore. This is the same words Jesus used when he hung on the cross, and it was the last time he spoke. Into your hands I commit my spirit. My life is yours. It's yours, God. Do with it as you will. I commend you to God. Paul has been the center of this movement of God in Ephesus. He was from the beginning. Remember, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Remember, all these these Ephesus, they're almost all Gentiles. There's a few Jews mixed in there, but Paul is kind of all they know so so much of their life. It's it's the center point of their, their spirituality. Obviously, it's all about Jesus. But Paul is who they physically look to. He was the leader. He raised up the churches. He met with the pastors. He did all of these things. He says, there's about to be a change, but it's going to be a good change because I'm about to commit you to God. I'm going to commit you to the lover of your soul. I'm going to commit you to the Holy Spirit who doesn't leave and doesn't forsake you. It's a change in in their life. You know what he's telling them? Okay, you're going to grow up now. Three years I've, I've raised you. Three years I've been with you, but it's time to stand on your own. I just have a baby who just learned how to walk, and she looks like an inebriated sailor. <laughs> now, she won't be walking like that in a few years. Praise God. When they first learn, boy, you got to be right there because she wobbles backward and the there's a counter right there. I'm uh, coming around with that head. Uh, you know, you're, that's what you're doing. But there comes a time when you say, okay, she's got this. He's got this. I've got to commit him. It's, Paul knew in his spirit, it's time for the Holy Spirit to take over here. The Holy Spirit is always in charge. But there's a time in our physical children's life when it's time that they're going to head out school or whatever that is, that they've got to learn to mature. And Paul says, I'm commending you to the one who's going to take you the rest of your life. In fact, the lover of your soul. In fact, the one who is, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm committing you to this person. I'm not the most important ministry to be connected to, he says. It's not, your your spiritual life's not going to center around me anymore. It's going to center around the Savior of your life. Number two on your notes. Above all, most importantly, be connected to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in church. I thank God for that. I remember as an, an intern, and I was you know, 18, 19, and everything was fun, and everything was wonderful, and 
the youth pastor was a spiritual mentor to me, and he came in and he told me that the Lord had spoken to him and he's, he was going to move and start a church. He didn't ask me about that. I was not happy. <laughs> it's all good and spiritual until they do something you don't want them to do, right? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to what? Look, we got a good thing going here. Look, we got like a hundred kids here. I'm like your right-hand guy. Look, we can grow this youth group up to like 200 kids. We can do this. Look, I'm only like 21. Maybe you do it a few years. I'll take over. We got a good thing going. He said, oh, hold on, hold on now. <laughs> the Lord has told me to go here. And you've got to grow up. Amen? And there was a shift in my life, a wonderful shift, where no man came before God. It's good that your, your children, when they're young, look to you first, right? They're kind of learning, and they're, kind of, they're looking this way, and then they learn that he's the lover of their soul, their everlasting father. Boy, I had to learn, okay, this is not going to sustain me the rest of my life. No pastor, no ministry, nothing. The Holy Spirit is the only one who sustains us, right? So Paul's saying, I'm reminding you, I've been here three years. There's going to be some shifts and changes, but it's going to be wonderful because it's God. You're going to be more reliant on the Holy Spirit than you ever have before. This is what Peter says and Jude. We'll look at those quickly. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. The person doesn't get old. They don't get tired. Their prayer life doesn't fall off. The ministry doesn't go bad. They quit children's ministry. They, quit cho they don't do um, flags anymore in church. They don't do ch uh, missionettes anymore. All these things that are changing. No, you're committed to the one who's your God who's reserved in heaven for you. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just a few pages over in Jude. It's, <laughs> these men wrote these toward the end of their life when they knew they were going to die and they weren't going to be any there anymore, and they were trying to get their people to be focused on the one who was better than them and greater than them. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's get all of us. We're discipling. We're growing. We're getting everyone to this place. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up, growing yourself building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, Yes, keeping myself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But on others, say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. No earthly ministry, no person is able to do what that scripture just said. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I can't keep you from stumbling. Oh, can the Holy Spirit keep you from stumbling? The very God of very God, he can keep you from stumbling. Can he present you faultless before the throne of glory? 
I, I need, that's the ministry I want to be most supported by, most connected with. That's not the only one, but that's the primary one. All right, let's keep looking at Acts here. We're back here in Acts. Verse 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. That you must support the weak. Paul had times of great strength in his life, feeling un... I mean, you're on the mountain, you feel invincible, same as us. He also had times of great weakness. People left him. He had great physical issues. He had ministry issues. He had all of these things. He had times of weakness in his life, and he wanted everyone to remember to support people in the weak times of life, to support people in the weak times of life. Before we get to our third point, I want to show you the person that did it for him. 2 Timothy 1. This is probably the weakest time of Paul's life. 2 Timothy is the last book he ever writes. Many theologians assert he wrote it the day before or the day of his execution. He had two times he went to Rome. One, he was under house arrest. Minimum security, easy peasy. He had open, he could come in and out, he had a guard, but it was really uh, not too bad, all right? I mean, it was minimum security. In fact, he wrote many of the epistles uh, in Rome the first time. The second time, it's bad. He will never leave Rome. He's in the inner prison, under the, under the prison, basically, is what it was, and it was rough. He's older, he's got physical issues. Listen what he says. This is the last book he, he, he writes. Listen who <laughs> How do you like to get an honorable mention when Paul's got 12 hours to live? 2 Timothy 1.16. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me. I want you to remember the weak. He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy for the Lord in that day. It doesn't only say Anisiphorus, it says his household. And this is, of course, the same Anisiphorus that's uh, the book of Philemon. He sought him out. He looked for him. I want you to remember the week because Anisiphorus inspires me. When I was in my worst, weakest time, physically, probably, possibly emotionally, he's probably a little excited to go to heaven too. He sought me out and was not ashamed of my chains. That's how we know it was really bad. He's in chains. And they didn't have like today, political, I got like pads around them and stuff. It's not like that. That's not the way the Romans did it. Number three on your notes. Be looking for someone to strengthen and encourage. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. We have a great congregation here, a wonderful one, who are always doing this. I I read this and I was like, this reminds me of people in my church. I'm like, God, we're doing something right. God is good. So we had had children's ministry. We had a drama camp a couple weeks ago. It's a long week. You get 30 kids in here. I didn't do it. Michelle Flott did it. 
and her husband supported. They've got four kids. She's dealing with one now and there. <laughs> she did it, and it was great, and y'all helped, and it was wonderful, and it was so great. So her husband, Kellen, comes in on Wednesday. He says, I said, how are y'all? Y'all recovered from the week? He said, yeah. He said it was great. He said, Eloise called us and said, you know what? I'm going to go come, even though I work full time, and I'm a widower, and I've got a bunch of grandkids. I'm going to come, and I'm going to watch all four of those kids. I want y'all to go out on a date and have some downtime. Come on now. Come on. That's Jesus stuff right there. We love you, Eloise. She's 49 and holding. <laughs> Can you believe? I'm like, what? What? Looking for someone who they can strengthen and encourage. Let me tell you how that's like Jesus. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, looking for someone he can strengthen. Come on. Oh, be looking for someone to strengthen and encourage. Like Anissa Forrest, Eloise found herself. I found Eloise in the Bible this week. I was like, look at this. And the Flots had been doing ministry all week. Look, I was like, ah, oh, we are so blessed. Come on, that's good stuff. Give him praise. I love it. We don't only have godly women in this church. We have godly men too. I told Kellen, I was like, Kellen, you know, God's really put prayer on my heart more. I need, can you start coming to men's prayer? He said, yeah. So the first Sunday, I show up, I get 10, 10 minutes early, you know, 6.30 in the morning. I don't need to be there 15. I can do the coffee in 10 minutes. He's sitting in the parking lot. It's dark. It's almost dark outside. I, I just meant come here. You don't have to beat the pastor here. That's Jesus stuff. Looking for someone that can strengthen and encourage. Oh, come on. I want that in my life. It's, you know, life gets so busy. Uh, you just get self-focused, right? You can be a navel gazer. Me, me, me. Oh, Paul said, I want you to remember the week. And I want you to remember that you can look out and let the Holy Spirit and let God just, you get to be my hands and feet and look for someone to strengthen and encourage. That you must remember, that you must support the weak. All right, now we come to verse 35 in Acts. This should be unique in your Bibles or your apps because this is not the time of Jesus. Jesus has lived. Jesus has had his miraculous earthly ministry. Jesus was crucified many years ago. This is several years ago. This is the next generation. Jesus was buried. Jesus was resurrected. And Jesus has ascended. Paul never physically met Jesus face to face. Now, he was on the road to Damascus, and a great light shone, and he heard the voice of the Lord say, why are you persecuting me? He had encountered God in miraculous, powerful ways, but he didn't walk with Jesus. He was not of the 12. He was the next generation. He knew many of the disciples. They had conversations. He even got in a fight with Peter one time. <laughs> it happens. You know, it's okay. They love each other. It's all good. Everyone gets into it every once in a while. But he says in verse 45, in verse 35, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, y'all have all heard that. That's a famous scripture, isn't it? Right. 
oh, okay, he must be repeating Matthew or Mark, who, who knew Jesus, you know, face to face. Oh, surely that's in the book of John. I was studying this, and I love the Word of God. I learn something new every time. I said, surely, where is he quoting that from? My first guess was John. Guess what? I was wrong. My second guess was Matthew. It's because it's bigger than Mark, so I was going on percentages, right? It's more, more, vol- more chapters. Guess what? I was wrong. Guess where this is found in the Bible besides right here? Nowhere. Nowhere. Wait, no, 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 no. It's in red. It has to be somewhere. No. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. See, Peter says, like common faith. Peter says, your faith is the same as mine. I may have walked with Jesus. I may have been in the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. But your belief in Jesus Christ and your encounter with him, it's the same. I was reading this and I thought, this is in red. We could read it like this. And I'm reminding you the words of our Lord Jesus that he said to me. That he said to me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then all of the life of Paul got much clearer for this pastor. All the words of Paul. I am pressed, but not crushed. I am persecuted, not abandoned. I am struck down, but not destroyed. In Timothy that we just read, I am being poured out like a drink offering. It doesn't matter. Why was Paul the person he was? Why did he act and do the things that he did? It's because he met the person of Jesus in the whispers, and Jesus said, Paul, your ministry is going to be driven by these few words. If I said them, no big deal. If you said them, it's encouraging. But Paul heard Jesus say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's speculated by theologians. Remember, Paul has that amazing encounter in Damascus. Then he disappears for three years. He's got to go in the desert because ain't no new Christian going to get up on the pulpit. No, you go in the desert for three years. You're going to go learn how to pray. You're going to go study, even though he was a Benjamite and already knew the law. You're going to to go spend some time low before you get high. That's the rule. That's why you don't know anything until you're at least like 30-ish, 30. It is more blessed to give than receive. It was in this statement his conversion was Damascus. Listen, his conversion was Damascus. His ministry was birthed right there in that one line. His driving focus of his life was right there. And so I was looking at this. I'm like, Lord, what is this? What does this mean for me? Lastly, on your notes and what it means for you. We're going to learn a new word today. God has a revelatory ministry for every generation. Relevatory. Say it with me. Relevatory. 
I had to look it up too. I had to look it up. There is a definition on your notes. <laughs> Relating to or having the characteristics of revelation, of divine encounter. This is in red. This is by Jesus, the mouth of Jesus Christ, as much as it is from the mouth of Jesus Christ when we read the Sermon on the Mount or when he's hanging on the cross. This is, a re this is Jesus telling Paul his ministry. This is him saying, I've got a spirit-filled, a specific ministry for you in this generation and the next and the next and the next, and there's no one exempt and the next, and the next, or his, or his faithfulness would fall. Are the mercies of God new every morning? Do we say, great is your faithfulness? We can't say that if he's not faithful in every generation. God has a relevatory ministry for every generation. Oh, I love it. thought, is that true, Lord? Really? Is that true? Let me tell you, give you an example. Before we started this church, I had to pray a lot. We moved in August 2014. Our, the shed in my backyard was my office, and I prayed. I was like, oh, God, you got to help me. We're going to do this building thing. I don't know anything about buildings. you got to, like, really help me a lot. I went to Bible college. Is there any other non-practical degree greater than, Bible, than a Bible degree, right? <laughs> the door I would hang would be crooked. So I'm praying, and one of my overseers said, listen, go to this. Uh, architect. He's a famous architect in this, in this city. And so I went and met with him, and he said, you know, I like built our Savior's church. I, I don't really do this. That's what he told me. I don't really do this. And he wasn't meaning it haughtily. It wasn't like a, a pride thing. He's like, this is just not what we do. I said, well, can you do this for us? He said, I'll get back to you. He called me. He said, listen, I'm, I've got a junior partner. We're going to do this for you. We're going to figure it out how to turn this into an assembly because it's a warehouse and it's passcodes. So I'm praying blessings of God upon his life. Well, I'm praying one day, and I had to meet him in a few days or whatever, and the Lord speaks to me about him. Okay, so I go to his office, and he's telling me how we're going to do this and this and that. And, you know, I'm polite and listening and trying to learn. I don't know anything about architect. This is all business stuff and real estate and all that. So I said, listen. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm a Scott, your junior guy. We're going to work this out and all the details. And he's the owner of the, this architect company in the oil center downtown. And I said, I just want to tell you, the Lord spoke to me something about you, and I wanted to, sh I wanted to share it with you. <laughs> you want to mess with someone's day, just tell them God spoke to you. <laughs> he had armchairs on his, you know, he was sitting in there. He leans back. He goes, okay. <laughs> and he's, he's leaning back. I mean, he's just, every muscle in his body has just tensed up. He's like, it's about to get weird. Oh, it's about to get weird. I said, well, I was praying, and Matthew 25 came to my mind, where Jesus says, um, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. You remember they asked Jesus, when were you poor? When were you naked and we didn't clothe you? When were you hungry and we didn't feed you? When, Lord? And he said, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And the Lord told me, he said, see, Stephen, you're the least of these. And he did it for you. Because, you know, this is like a 
office strip center, and he, you know, like designed our saviors. <laughs> so I shared that with him, and as soon as I did, I watched his hands. They were white knuckled, and he goes, "It's just uh. now." I knew he was a Christian. I knew he was a Christian already. Then he opens up. He starts telling about how God changes life, and he got this prophecy years. He won't stop. He's why I'm like, oh, it's almost done. I got another meeting to go to. You know, I'm going to get to the point kind of guy. I'm in his front office. His, his, his secretary's right there. He's just following me around. He's a quiet guy. He never stopped. He's chattering. Let me tell you what God did this time and then this and then this. I'm like, praise God. Good, good. That was three months before any service, before any worship song, before the first children's ministry, before anyone even heard of this place. And we're just getting started. We're young. God's going to bless us. We're going to grow. And we're going to do everything he's called us to do. It was three months. I want to tell you, I read this, and the Lord reminded me, Stephen, didn't I give you a ministry that is empowered by the Holy Spirit that's a revelatory, it, it gives itself to revelation and Holy Ghost power and, and prayer and things that are supernatural? I said, yes, you did, even before we started. And I thought, I want to remind you that Jesus saved you supernaturally. I want to remind you, as Paul did, that it is more blessed to give than receive. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words of Christ drove his entire life and changed the known world. Paul turned the world upside down. He planted churches from Asia all the way across the known world. His ministry alone changed the face of this earth. And we will only understand the ramifications in heaven alone. Come on now. You need to see yourself, Christian, as a born-again, spirit-empowered God. What do you want me to do? I want a revelatory ministry. I want to be moving in your power. I want to be serving. I'll go weak so you can be strong. And whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Oh, God, I want to see you move. Amen? Come on. Let's stand up. We're going to take communion. I'm reminding you, he has a relevatory ministry for you. For your generation, he had one for Abraham, he had one for Isaac, and he had one for Jacob. He had revelation for Abraham and moved. The next generation, he had revelation for Isaac, different, and moved. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In the next generation, Jacob, the youngest, he had revelation, spoke to him, gave him visions, and moved. Usually on this planet, there's three generations existing. I think we got four here today. He's going to move in every single one, every one of them. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion as we always do during our family service. So if you can go, you can get the, the juice and the bread and then go sit down and we're going to take communion as a church family. Go ahead.
because everyone's almost done. First Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord, which on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Everyone here, we do this in remembrance of him. Let's take the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup of the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Be reminded of the price that was paid for your salvation. And I want to be reminded of the price paid for mine. Let's take the juice. The worship team's going to come up, and we're going to sing a chorus of a last song, which will be our altar call today. But I want to read to you a scripture from 2 Timothy. This is 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. These are the last words, you could say, of Paul. This is right before his death. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day And not to me only, but also, what does it say? To all who have loved his appearing. To all who've loved his appearing. You have to love his first appearing to love every other God encounter in your life until that great appearing, that day when he shall return whether you're already in heaven or not. You have to love the first to love the second. You have to have that encounter on the cross, that encounter with Jesus that says, oh, the precious blood of Jesus. That's why we did communion to remember. And Paul is saying to all who love his appearing, do you love his appearing? Let's stand up. As we worship, just for a few minutes left, I want you to think about this in your life. Do you love his appearing? Lord, I want to love your appearing when the worship starts on Sunday. If there's a Bible study, if it's a discipleship track, if it's I'm listening to the radio and I'm worshiping along or I'm talking to a Christian friend or whatever, I want to love your appearing. I'm reminded about your first appearing and I want to love every other one. So let's worship the Lord for just a couple minutes here. So come and blow on through Spirit
come and do what only you can do. So come and blow on through. Spirit move. We're ready for you to come and blow on through. Come and do. Thank you that you remind us daily. You remind us in our hearts and minds, Lord, what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to do. Oh, we trust you, Lord. We look for your goodness. We look for change in our life and our family, our hearts and our minds. Lord, our church, Lord, we thank you for this, God. Oh, we thank you for it.